The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Studio. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. As always, it is a chilly day here in Chinatown. It is the winter time. Christmas is quickly approaching. It's crazy, man. All the Christmas lights going up everywhere. It's a, it's a great sight to see. It's the holiday season. It's a time of giving. Not that you should always you should always be in a giving mood, but of course, it's always amplified during the holiday season. A crazy episode on deck for you today. So much to unpack, so much to discuss. The NWSL season may be over, but with the NCAA season having wrapped up, we crowned a new national champion. The Women's World Cup draw was out. So much going on in the W League, the FA Women's Super League in England. So much going on and uh, cannot wait. And, oh, cannot forget, Karina LeBlanc will be our interview. She is the head of women's football in CONCACAF. It, it was a great time getting an opportunity to speak with her and uh again grateful for the opportunity she really has um a really strong sense of where she wants to take CONCACAF and it's clear that it's only going to grow um over time and so we are very excited to bring that to you but first we will start with of course the women's world cup draw and uh it is going to be it looks like it's going to be the most competitive World Cup we have ever had. And I mean, that is what is expected considering how the women's game continues to grow exponentially. There are so many great teams around the world. Obviously, Europe, as expected, boasts the most overall talent from top to bottom. But the Americans are the defending champs and they will be expected to defend their title. Now, taking a look at the groups, in case you haven't seen them already, I'm sure it's been all over social media, but um, you know we're obviously going to be doing a bunch of comprehensive coverage leading up to the World Cup this summer in France, group-by-group group coverage, team-by-team team coverage, key players to watch. You know, Definitely expect more of that to come as, um, as the summer gets closer and closer. But for now, you know, we'll just take a look at some very interesting matchups that We'll get to see initially, of course, talk about the United States group. Uh, they ended up in Group F, which means we'll have to wait a couple days when the tournament first starts in order to see them. But they will open against Thailand, and then they also have Chile, a team that they handled pretty easily uh, in, in a couple friendlies earlier this year. And then the Swedes, the arch-nemesis Swedes, um, and you could tell... Tobin Heath was in the studio with Megan Klingenberg and some of the other hosts and on Fox Sports. And um, the first thing she mentioned was that it was that Sweden's in their group and that's who stands out. And I mean, you would expect Sweden to still finish second in that group. But that matchup is going to be uh, who sparks are going to fly. You can guarantee that uh, some other key matchups here. Groups A through C are going to be very, very uh, interesting. The hosts, France, will open against the Korea Republic, who have some very crafty players in their side playing all around the world. Norway, of course, boasts the first ever Ballon d'Or feminine winner, Ada Hedeberg, and we have a lot more about her winning the award and some other controversy that went on with her later on the show. And the Nigerians out of Africa, a very interesting team there at the bottom of the group uh a relative wild card because there is no guarantee as to as to how they will play group b the germans lead at the top the steel roses 
will open against them. The Chinese are going to have a much improved side and they continue to grow, continue to get better. It's it's so much fun when you get these draws to come out to really see the contrast in styles, the contrast in matchups because it, you, you have offense versus defense. You also look at Spain in that group. Trying to imagine an offensive, free-flowing Spain against a hardcore, defensive-minded Chinese side is going to be very fun to watch. And at the very bottom, Bafana, Bafana, South Africa. Um, I think it's safe to say I'm going to be rooting for them. Uh, they're going to be a a uh, a fun, fun team to watch. Obviously, two to three players. Well, you have Janine Van Vyck, who was let go by the Houston Dash, but they had we had a huge South African influence in Houston. You have Ketlana and Linda Mothalo as well. And and when you have three players like that with with that level of international experience, uh, they're going to cause some problems as well. Group C, Australia, the Aussies have cracked the top six, and uh, uh, this is a interesting group for them. Yes, the, the reggae girls, one of the best stories of the qualification stages, qualifying for their first World Cup, will be at the bottom, and right in smack dab in the middle, Italy and Brazil, and you'd have to think that those are the two teams that are going to fight it out to advance. Uh, let me t- I'm going to say something right now, and it's very far in advance, but we have no idea what Marta has left in the tank because let's be honest here she carries that team they go as she goes and the Italians are very strong as they always are the Italians uh strong defensively and and have some good players attacking wise as well so Italy Brazil that is going to be a fun group C matchup group D now this to me is going to be the best this is going to be the best England versus Scotland Having spent some time in England, uh, I mean, really, just it it means so much to both countries, and and for them to be putting the same group together, and for it to be the opening matchup of the group, oh, the hype is going to be unreal, man. The hype is going to be unreal. Uh, England, of course, such a solid, solid side. So when you think about England and Scotland, I mean, it does not get more fun than that. So we are very, very excited to see how that plays out. Argentina, Estefania Benini, and the Argentinians recently been going through some turmoil. They will be uh, an interesting team to watch in that group, but the Japanese are going to, I think they're my pick to win that group. Obviously, we will see more um as in, in build up to the World Cup. Group E, Canada. Canada probably has the easiest group with Cameroon and New Zealand. No disrespect to New Zealand. We love the football ferns. Uh, but they should be able to to navigate this group pretty easily. The Dutch, though, the Dutch, the Dutch have some serious talent. And we're going to get more into the Guardian list later on they came out with a top 100 women footballers list and they have three uh excuse me four players in the top 30 okay so there's going to be a a tremendous amount of hype around the dutch and what they bring to the table it's it's going to be a lot of fun uh to see what they can do they will be a trendy pick a dark horse to go far in the tournament so with that being said all of these groups going to be so great i cannot wait just every single day we get all these amazing matchups now leading up to the world cup the usa has a rigorous schedule planned leading up to the world cup and that is exactly what they need seriously i mean we have not really gotten to see them go overseas right because the tournament of nations is hosted in america most of the friendlies they play other countries are coming to america to play and now we have again the u.s getting an opportunity to go abroad in different climates different environments to really truly test their metal against some of the best in the world coming up in the new year january 19th at le havre against france oh you think that i mean that's gonna be exactly what we expect it to be two teams that will be 
early on, I think people are going to predict them to get to the final. So a potential World Cup final matchup on deck January 22nd. Three days later, they go to Alicante and take on Spain. La España, uh, La Roja, is going to be uh, an interesting, a different test because the U.S. are a team that love to possess, love to, to move the ball around, but that's exactly what Spain's calling card is, that tiki-taka, move the ball, create, and make life difficult. Of course, the United States, I'm not exactly worried because of how great their back line is, but an interesting matchup. Then, of course, the She Believes Cup, the end of February, going into March. They come back to America. Three matches against Japan, England, and Brazil, three teams that they are very, very familiar with. And again, they came away... Uh, they came away aces in the Tournament of Nations. So the She Believes Cup, again, we would expect uh, nothing less. And then, of course, April 4th and April 7th, right? Uh, the Aussies at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Denver, Colorado. Another marquee matchup. Uh, the Matildas always pose the toughest test. And I was thinking about this the other day. It, it makes such a difference when the Americans go to play in the W League and, and vice versa because you really get to understand a person's tendencies, how they operate, understand their style of play, what they're going to do before they do it, right? Like players, like I'm, I'm looking at, you know, Danny Colaprico, and she's very good friends with Savannah McCaskill, who is a teammate of hers, and then Caitlin Ford. Right, like this kind of contrasting of, of cultures coming together, um, really can can be so helpful for the Aussies in, in, in order to like they're obviously they're not afraid, but they really have um, they really get an extra edge because of this partnership that that both leagues have, and, and it is so tremendous um, to be able to see it right now in in the W League as well. And then April 7th, Belgium. Unfortunately, the Belgians are not in the World Cup. Uh, they are a team that you would expect, again, the United States to trounce pretty easily. The South Africans in May. And then four days later, the opponent has yet to be decided uh, at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, Missouri. May 26th, 10 days later, they finish it off at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey against El Tri, Mexico. So, a solid, solid tour. Um, the end of it, of course, will not be nearly as taxing as the beginning of it over the course of these next couple months. But uh, expect the United States to be tested, and that is exactly what we want. They need to be tested, and they need to be put up to the, you know, they need to be put in tough situations in order to truly learn how great they can be. What is their championship medal when their backs are pushed up against the wall? What can they produce? Because, again, we know what they are capable of, and they will be expected to defend their title. Okay, so enough World Cup talk. Um, I could I could honestly go on forever. I could go on for days and days and days talking about World Cups and, and the different matchups and everything else. So we must move on. Last weekend, uh, a pretty shocking turn of events in terms of the NCAA Women's College Cup. The Florida State Seminoles, they deserve a huge round of applause for what they were able to pull off. Mark Rikorian and his staff, they looked like a professional-level squad out there. And when you have the number of international players with experience who have played in other countries, they were not afraid of the moment whatsoever. That first game against Stanford, Stanford, you, I mean, I, had to, I totally have to eat my words here. I was I was singing their praises, saying how great they were, how they were even better than last year's team. And in reality, <laughs> they got shut down, completely shut down. I saw Stanford players looking around at each other, completely unaware of what they were supposed to be doing. Like Florida State continued to possess and possess and possess and just completely took Stanford out of their game. Katarina Macario clearly was not 100%. You could see she had her leg taped up. Wasn't at her absolute best. She was the only one really creating anything. And, and of course, it was a truly a team effort for the Seminoles. Two defenders scored their first goals of the season in that game. Uh, you really have to think 
that when you look at yes, the Pac-12 from top, you know, they're a very top-heavy conference. Those three teams at the top are really, really good. But in terms of conference play throughout the year, they kind of just coasted. Whereas the ACC, Florida State, uh, were not great to start the year, and they really hit their stride in conference play battle tested you have so many different great teams in that top 25 in the acc such a deep conference every single game is is going to be a tough tough fight and so uh that definitely suited them in a big game in a tough weather game as well and i mean i'm obviously not out on the west coast and i'm not sure how, how often it rains but uh clearly stanford was impacted it just everything just seemed to be off in terms of their passing and and what they were capable of doing offensively. And then in the second game, you talk about Florida State taking on North Carolina. Uh, first of all, I mean, not to take anything away from the Seminoles, but the game that Georgetown and North Carolina played was one of the best you will ever see in College Cup history, man. I mean, those Hoyas, they laid their guts out on the table. They left everything out on the field. They lose their goalkeeper, their All-American goalkeeper, Ariel Schechtman, and their backup, Lauren Gallagher, comes in and saves a penalty off Taylor Auto with less than five minutes to go. It does not get better than this. The drama was so great, and it looked like Georgetown could potentially take this to penalty kicks because they look gas. But Anson Dorrance and the depth of that team were just too much. Emily Fox and Julia Ashley, right and left backs, combining to win the game right they were the difference but unfortunately that that's exactly what the Seminoles knew having seen them before they were able to limit Ashley and Fox's impact on the wings and really again there was nothing doing for Carolina and that offense it was all Florida State and and the way they controlled the tempo of the game the way they passed you look at this team Dana Castellanos the assist she provided the assist to Dallas DeRozzi, who is a Tar Heels killer. We've mentioned that time and time again. She got two in the ACC championship game against him, scored the game winner. Sheer desire, determination. She refused to give up. She refused and and took on her defender. Uh, all it took is one moment. Yuji Zhao is... Uh, beyond her years and you can definitely expect her to be on the steel roses side at the world cup it would be shocking if she was not on that team um every time she was on the ball not phased not once you could not get her off the ball and just calm composed always finding the right past moving the ball so you look at what uh, the Seminoles team was able to do, man. I mean, so, so much credit. And and the unsung hero, Caroline Jeffers, was phenomenal in, in the title game. Didn't have to do as much. She really didn't have to do anything at all against Stanford, which was surprising. You'd think Stanford would want to test the backup keeper, but she was phenomenal against the Tar Heels and kept them out, especially in those last 10 to 15 minutes. She saved the game for them, and it speaks to the Seminoles and their, their depth. The second national championship in school history and again hats off to them and what they were able to achieve a tremendous tremendous accomplishment okay now one of the other major major storylines from the weekend ada hedeberg of norway won the ballon d'or feminine making her the player of the year um but unfortunately it was overshadowed by a uh a, another sexist comment, and I mean, if, if y'all are ready for another Rotas rant, here it comes, because this is absolutely ridiculous. It is appalling, and I am shocked. Like, it took credit, Ada Hedeberg, it took every ounce, it looked like it took every fiber of her being to not either make a comment, or honestly, she. I don't think anyone would have complained if if she slapped him. Like, for her, for him to say... Are you going to twerk is the most r incredibly appalling comment on a, on a stage that big with the entire world watching. DJ Martin Solveig of France. Man, what in the world are you saying? And then here's the worst part about it. He still didn't own up to his mistake at all. Okay, first of all, he tried to excuse himself by saying, oh, Asking her to twerk to a Frank Sinatra song uh, makes it 
makes it a joke. That as if that's supposed to make it okay or acceptable. And then in his apology afterwards on Twitter, he says, "I'm sorry if it offended. I'm sorry to the people that it offended." Dude, that is the most unsincere apology you could have ever made. I mean, honestly, all you need to do, all you need to do is say nothing. Just say nothing, man. Like, like what is the deal? We're not, it's like we're not asking for much here. All, all the women want is just, is just equality. They're not asking for more than that. They're not asking for, again, imagine him asking Luka Modric, the male winner, to, to dance with him. Are like that would never happen. Imagine him asking Ronaldo or Messi, people would literally look at him like he's crazy. But because it's but because Peterberg's a woman, all of a sudden that makes it okay? Nuh-uh. Not fair. Not fair at all. In in fact, what Peterberg did was even better in terms of production. You could argue it's better in terms of production than what Ronaldo or Messi did last year. There's a reason why Modric won it over those two. But again, Hederberg had 46 goals in 29 appearances. Okay? That's best goal scorer in the world, period. Period, period, full stop. Nothing else needs to be said. She was the best player in the world, carrying it over into this year. Okay? Nothing more needs to be said on that. Nothing. That's it. It's ridiculous how we can still, as a society, get away, think we can get away with making comments like this. Of course he got crucified for it on Twitter and, and, and everywhere else. I mean, I hope he did, because that's not okay. Like, we're... Just... Okay. All right. Whew. Done. Done. That, that That's all I'm going to say about that. It should not be happening. And, I mean, of course it's going to continue to happen, as I say. It's, it's only going to get worse... But we must continue to fight and, and make sure that this does not happen. We need to call everyone out on it when it, when it happens. Seriously. It, it needs to, we need to continue to call people out on it if it's going to continue to happen in this manner. Of course, there were four other nominees on the list. Uh, again, I don't know how the voting ended up this way. Uh, Pernille Harder of, of, De- of also, uh, no, excuse me, of Denmark, plays for Wolfsburg, had a highly productive year as well. But so did Sam Kerr, and she somehow ends up fifth behind Marta and Jennifer Marazan. I, I understand what Marazan does for Lyon. She is a tremendous midfielder who who can really pull the strings. Um, but to me, Sam Kerr should at least be in the second or third spot uh, for the year that she had. And I can only help but think either because... Uh, again, because she's playing in America, she's not getting the same respect that others do if, if they're playing in Europe. And I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. It's not acceptable. But, you know, again, the Aussies were super classy. Sam Kerr herself was so classy to even to have finished fifth. She said it was a big honor, and, and everyone on Twitter supported her. It was, it was great, great to see. And, uh, yeah, no complaints there other than Kerr finishing fifth. All right, it is that time. Uh, Karina LeBlanc, uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the game for Canada when she was playing and um, obviously was able to move up and and now is the head of women's football for CONCACAF. Uh, we were very, very fortunate to, to get in touch with her and speak with her about what her plans are going forward what uh what can be done in order to to help the women's game continue to grow and and have and make sure that not only little girls around the world are inspired but to really tell each country's story and that was so important one of the biggest takeaways from from speaking with her so of course uh, without further ado here is the karina leblanc interview enjoy guys karina as the head of women's football in Concacaf. How would you say your transition has been moving from being a player to being in an administrative role like this one? Um, it's exciting. I think it's, it's, it makes me think more about my moments as a player because as a player, you know, your focus is to be the best and, and hopefully represent your country well or represent your professional club well. But I think now that I'm on the other side, I see 
so much more of what goes into the game and, and, and so much goes into the development. And it excites me. I'm using all my experiences from being a player um, now and then all my experiences actually since being a player. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Is there anything specifically from those experiences that have really helped you with this transition? Yeah, I think it's important because CONCACAF, the thing is to put the, I mean, our motto is to put the player first. And I think in a lot of meetings, it's, it's been interesting when I'm answering questions or we're having discussions, I actually can think of what the player's mindset would be. And I think that's one of the big things. But, I mean, even in decision-making, the idea is to grow the women's game. And I think it's such a great opportunity here in CONCACAF. We have 41 members associations, so that's 41 countries where the overall goal could be and hopefully it will be, is to impact and change young girls' lives. And, and the power of the game, as we see today, is so much beyond just the field in the women's game. It's, it's the impact it has off the field. It's what these women go on to do and what these women, because of the sport, learn about themselves. So I think being a player helps me in so many different ways. It's what I know. Um, so I can't compare it to, to not having this experience, but I've definitely found many different ways and where it's been very beneficial. Could you shed more of a light on how CONCACAF has really been able to, to rebrand themselves as we saw during the CONCACAF championship, you know, a, a more expansive social media presence, a brand new logo, everything like that? Yeah, I mean, for us, we've now created CONCACAF W, which is CONCACAF Women, and we're, we're, we're creating a whole new platform for it. We've just had a soft launch, so right now we have the Instagram channel. But it's just the beginning. I think what's exciting for me is I've come into a, a position where CONCACAF wanted to do more with the women's game, and I get to be the, like one of the leads on that. And it, it's exciting because now it's part of making sure women are part of every conversation. You know, It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, let's do something for women's football. It's now when we talk about development, where does women's football fit in that? When we talk in commercializing the game, where does women's football fit in on that? When we talk about... Just so many different things. It's, the conversation now is, okay, women's football, Like we need to make sure that is always including. And that that is in response to the branding aspect. You know, We have one CONCACAF in the pillars and the brand, but now there's CONCACAF W, so it shows that we're moving in the direction of including women in everything that we're doing. And how important do you think it is to, to constantly market the women's game in the right way, to constantly give it the exposure that it needs? <laughs> well, I, I think it's so important because obviously I grew up um, as the game grew up when I first started playing um, football or soccer. There were eight people in the stands when I first played my first game for for Canada, and then we fast forward. I played almost 18 years for my country and five different World Cups. I saw it grow. Obviously, 99 World Cup was my first, and that exploded. And then you just saw the game continue to grow on the field and off the field, and. And now, you know, I retired in 2015 at a home World Cup and, you know, to, to, to leave the game in a sold-out stadium and, and seeing young girls wearing Canadian jerseys with our names on the back of it, the game has grown so much. So I think the, the interesting thing and the exciting thing is that it is still so far away from where it can be. And that's where our focus is, is, is understanding where we are now what we need to do and, and understanding to what capacity we can grow this game and, and using the players' names, using the authenticity of the players and their stories and helping tell the stories to, in some areas of the world, change the perception of the game um, and in some areas of the world, just keep enhancing the women's game. What would you say your overall vision is for women's football in, in the CONCACAF region? Yeah, I, I, I love this question, but I think... I mean, I'm new to this job, mm -hmm. and I think one of the things I've learned from some of the best leaders I've ever seen is that you first seek to understand before you want to be understood. So mm -hmm. if you look at it, it's 41 different members associations. So that's 41 different stories, 41 different um, placings of where women's football is. And for me, before I even come up with my strategy and understand where I really want to go, I really need to understand what's going on because the reality of what's going on in Honduras is completely different from what's going on in Barbados, which is different, which is going on in North America. So it's, it's, it'd be easier to say, here's my strategy, if we had the same problems or the same issues or the same like wins, but they're all so different. So for me, 
I think going into this, uh, one of the reasons I took this position was I was just so excited at the opportunity. You know, we're starting from scratch with women's football did exist before, but now we have a women's football whole department. And now it's, it's looking at the opportunity of how this game can really and has really changed young girls' lives, me being one of them, and making sure we, we show the potential of the game we're able to hear the issues that are on in every members association and every country and, and really try to grow the game with all the different heartbeats that we have throughout the region. Now, what are your thoughts on the current situation in, in Puerto Rico and most recently Argentina? I know Argentina isn't in the CONCACAF region, but more nations really kind of taking a stand to kind of close this gap in terms of the inequality that we have in terms of the men's and women's side in terms of soccer? The issue is not just in Argentina or Puerto Rico. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all across the world. And I think what's happening now is that people are paying attention. I mean, I just got off the phone with uh, Puerto Rico itself and, and understanding what's going on there, what steps are being taken. And, and I think what's happening now is that people always get um, certain sides of the story. And, and, and it's my job to understand what's fully going on and where we as CONCACAF can help every situation with each country that we are a part of. And I think for me, growing up as a player, it's interesting because you go through the part where, you know, you want more and you want more things done and you use your voice in different aspects. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more is is players using their voices to bring attention. And, and you know, we went through this with Canada soccer too. And what, what we found worked was to sit down with, our association and talk it out and and hear what they had to say and why things are going on that way and then have them hear us because I think it's important for women's voices to be heard and I think it's also important for the associations to sit down with the players and be like okay this is the reality this is what we're doing this is where we could be better and I think that's the the good thing that's happened with uh, with so many discussions happening on equality and so many discussions asked happening about where can the women's games go? Because as a player, you get excited to know that you could be somewhere. I mean, you look at Jamaica qualifying for the first ever time for a Caribbean country for the Women's World Cup. That is huge. Mm -hmm. That is huge for the Caribbean region because I think it's important that these different girls in these different islands see young women who look like them, see women who are accomplishing something who, who've walked the same streets they've walked, who, who've played on the same fields they've played, who, who I mean, are country women of, of their own country. So I think it's, it's an interesting time for women's football. I think it's a time where different people have to start stepping up. I think it's a time and an opportunity for women who now get to step up and truly make a difference. Now, uh, you were recently at the Soccer X event. How did that go, and what were your biggest takeaways from from that uh, event? Um, I, I loved it. Um, I think for our discussion, we had a room filled of people who wanted to know how do you commercialize the women's game, and and I think it was a healthy discussion. I mean, I had uh, I played for the Portland Thorns, and you know we had Mike there, who's from there, so it brought back my days of actually and as an athlete, and in Portland has one of the best environments for a professional athlete. I mean, when you get to go week in and week out and have a crowd that's chanting your name, and, like, for me, I was the goalkeeper, so every time I made a save, they'd be saying, Kareem. Yeah, like, they, mm-hmm. that's just something you dream of. And also talking with, uh, you know, Amanda, who's the acting commissioner with NWSL, and there's so many different areas of the game where we can grow, and we had La Liga, I think it was exciting. I think I think my biggest takeaway is that people are very interested in the women's game. They want to know more. They want to know how we make it better. They want to know how, obviously, we commercialize it and make money from it. Um, and I'd say that my biggest takeaway is that there's genuinely and genuinely is an interest in the women's game and growing it. And what are some of the ways that you think we can continue to help it grow because it has been slowly but surely, you know, we have the TV deal with Lifetime and, and you know, the NWSL draft and everything is slowly expanding. What are some steps you think we can take in order to help it continue to rise and continue to grow? Well, in my position, I'm looking at 41 
different countries or members associations, right. as right. we call it. Mm. And it's a different conversation in just about every island or country, you know? Mm. Like, the in Central America, the what's holding sometimes the girls from playing is, is, is just access to, you know, a parent may send a young boy in three or four bus rides and a dad will go three of the four bus rides with a young boy because that young boy should be playing professional sports. But it's changing the perception that you should do that for a young girl as well. You know, I remember traveling with UNICEF and meeting young teenage girls who were putting down their babies. And I was like blown away because especially coming from Canada, you know, at that age, I was like, which team do I want to play on? And all of a sudden, the conversations you're having in, in, in terms of trying to increase the participation in the sport is a huge social change that needs to happen. So it's changing the perception of the sport. And when you're able to do that, then you're able to increase numbers. Then you're able to, because it's interesting that a lot of times now, it's the parents who don't, who are sometimes holding the kids back because they don't see the value in the sports. You know, they're like, you know, in some countries, it's, 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 it's still seen as a distraction. But and be able to have a conversation and turn to some studies like where EY has shown that 94% of women in C-class positions and higher all played sports. So then you sit and you, you, you show the power of sport and you show like, you know what, like if your daughter is in, in, playing soccer or football, then she probably will have better grades because she'll be more focused. She'll, she'll be surrounded by women who are driven. She'll be goal-oriented. She'll learn to be able to fail and understand that that's a beautiful thing. She'll learn... She'll be able to speak to different people from all different types of backgrounds. She'll get to travel. And it's all of a sudden you're having that conversation to just show people the power of the game. So in terms of something as simple as that, that increases the number. But then when you start to tell stories of girls who are successful and what they've come through, like you you have some women in, in Jamaica who, you know, they've seen violence take lives of their family members and their escape of soccer. And they went to the soccer field and they may be hearing crime and violence around them, but when they got to their soccer field, that's their escape. And then now that same girl is now playing at a Women's World Cup. So telling her story is so powerful because it gives her a voice, but it also tells so many other women and parents, and why would I put my doll in the sport? It's like, look at the power of the sport. Look at the impact of the sport. Look at this woman who's able to articulate herself and, and talk about the adversity she's been through. And she now has a full... A university degree and she's now going to walk up through sports there's that aspect of it and then you start to see the the the, the social aspect of it and in in a sense almost that's sometimes the conversations i'm having now that's where sponsors want to get in they want they want the social aspect but it's almost like the csr part but that really the impact of the game is almost so much more attractive because of the the power of it now I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, you were one of the best goalkeepers in the game when you were playing. Is there currently a, <laughs> is is there a goalkeeper currently in the women's game who really reminds you of yourself? Oh, um, no. <laughs> no, you wanna... I, I don't say that because I, I don't I don't think you know what I, I've actually never ever watched the game and been like, oh, she reminds me of myself. Um. I love watching great goalkeeping. I think I'm one of those girls that it's annoying to watch a game with me because, you know, if a, if a goalkeeper makes a save, I'm the one jumping up, like in a penalty kick shootout. I'm the one jumping up every time there's a save. And, you know, it, <laughs> I'm, I'm mm -hmm. annoying to watch a game with because, to me, the highlights are always the goalkeeper. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think it's very rare that I ever look at uh, goalkeepers and say uh, – she she plays like me. I think from our championship, our women's championship at CONCACAF, one of the young goalkeepers that really stuck out was the Panama goalkeeper, mm -hmm. Yannis Bailey. Yeah. I mean, she, she was just unbelievable. She was courageous. And, and to know that she'd only played the sport for a year, um, and not the sport, the position for a year, um, that was just unbelievable, you know? And you saw the players go up to her after the game, like the Carly Lloyds, and say, wow, like, you were unbelievable. And to this young girl, that meant the world because she's just starting to understand her own personality and who she is as a player. So I think there's a lot of potential in the in the position. And and again, there's there's, there's a lot of gaps, and that's one of the things I personally want to work on in my position is, is to, to 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 get the focus on the goalkeepers. Because you know, to me, 
I think it's the most important position, but mm-hmm. I'm a little biased. Yeah, <laughs> I am too. I completely agree. I was a goalkeeper myself. And, you know, there's a, there's the saying that goes around in football. Uh, you have to be a little crazy to be go- to be a goalie. No, I think we're just, you have to be a little bit of genius is what I call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so define that for me. What would you say it, it takes, that, that extra quality? Because, yeah, I, I always took it personally anytime I allowed a goal, whether it was a defensive lapse or, or whether it was me, I always took it personally. So what would you describe that as in terms of genius? you really have to have thick skin um, mm-hmm. because you I mean in a penalty kick shootout people always ask me how did you feel in those those were the best parts for me because mm-hmm. I would go into a penalty kick shootout being confident and being like wow what an opportunity I can't wait to truly go and impact and do something I, I would always think that I would end up victorious and I think it just you have to have a bravery and a craziness and some people call it crazy but I think you just have to be you have to be willing to take that pressure and love the pressure. I mean, I love pressure. I think I think it's part of what defines me personally as a person. I mean, in t- today, like now, if I go out and, I mean, I just did V-Day, which was in front of about 20,000 screaming kids. And I remember people like, oh, my God, how did you do that? I was like, that was awesome. I wasn't even nervous, you know, because I love the adrenaline rush of, of this. And as you know, there's something special about getting to make that one save. Yeah, I think I think when you have the ability to be in a position to take the pressure and, and and be able to try to help everyone in front of you lead them into hopefully that you don't have to make the save, but when the save comes you're able to make the big save. I think that's what that's what it's about. It's about showing up and being able to do your job when you know, you're the last line and taking that on and appreciating it. And I think that's the position of a goalkeeper. I think it's just about loving the pressure, performing under pressure. And then when you don't, the first thing you want to think about is what do I need to do better next time? And accepting that because I think any goalkeeper who just continues to blame everyone else and it's everybody else's fault, I think that's when you stop really growing as a goalkeeper. I think it's it's when you always love it, when you always love being able to add to a game and then knowing that when you do fail, I guess is the word to say, you learn from it, you move forward, and you find, okay, how can I be successful next time in the same type of situation? Now, what would you say, would you say making an impact, making being able to make the impact that you can right now is, is the best part about being the head of women's football in CONCACAF? Um, I think the best part is just... Um, being able to be a voice in different situations and circumstances so that you, I can impact the game. And, and I think it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity because, you know, of all the 41 members of associations we have, we all have room to grow. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to change the world in a day or in the short time I'm here, but if you're able to move the needle and, and help get little wins for every country, then that's, that's the direction we want to go. Obviously, some countries, there's going to be small things that we can do, and they'll have great impacts. But at the same time, there's some countries that sometimes it's just even starting and having the conversation with them. Again, that was Karina LeBlanc. Uh, really, again, I've, I'm getting a little repetitive here, but it was so great to speak with her. And uh, really, really excited to see where... CONCACAF goes and continues to grow because she mentioned in that interview just uh, how everyone's story, 41 different countries, uh, and each one has their own story to tell, different cultures, different levels of infrastructure. Some, some countries are obviously fully developed like ours here in America, but others are not nearly as lucky. And you have so many different ones, you know, just looking to to find their place in, in world football. So, again, so grateful to get the opportunity to speak with her, and we hope you guys enjoyed. Now, a word from one of our sponsors, Strikers Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Strikers Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. 
focusing on player development. The curriculum at Strikers Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Strikers Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive training and coaching experience. Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one -on -one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. Again, for more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. Uh, of course, our last episode, episode seven, uh, featured a great interview with George Nahorski, and really, we really got a chance to to know more of what he's all about. And you guys showed a ton of support for that episode in terms of downloads, so we are so so grateful, and we hope that you continue to do so. Of course, uh, this podcast is slowly but surely growing, and I mean, I'm so grateful to get this opportunity to continue to 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 voice my opinions on everything that's going on in the world of soccer and 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 it's and it's really an opportunity to uh to really shine a light on on this beautiful game and how great the women are at it because really i mean the level of play around the world it it makes it easy to fall in love with and that's really as long as i can continue to do this i will so again thank you for your support and we will continue to keep going continue to keep growing moving on to the w league uh some quick quick news updates the perth glory slowly but surely have uh developed a very very strong front three a trident if you will of sam kerr Alyssa mounts and rachel hill now rachel hill plays for the orlando pride and was able to have a small spark off the bench for them in the nwsl with three to four goals but right now she is Rachel Hill uh is is looking like a brand new player. She clearly loves uh the great weather out there and the sun and she is enjoying herself combining with Alyssa Mouts and Sam Kerr who were obviously teammates on the Chicago Red Stars so they have developed a nice partnership as well. Um their passing movement, their ability to honestly get Kerr the ball and vice versa ha has worked out very well for them. So far Perth are top of the table unbeaten still but sydney fc as well looked very very impressive a 5-1 win caitlin ford netting a hat trick clearly showing you what she is capable of if you give her space in the box she is a uh, a poacher a finisher in front of goal and someone who at the world cup for the matildas could be a great great strike partner for sam kerr up top so a nice one-two combo that is, you know, continuing to get better for the Aussies as they approach World Cup play. So it's it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting. Again, Jasmine Spencer as well, having a great season, still scored a cracking goal as well for Melbourne City. Uh, so, again, the Americans doing very well overseas. Of course, we cannot forget about the FA, the Football Association Women's Super League. That's a mouthful. That's why we say FAWSL. Uh, Nikita Paris, 24 years old, but she has been around a long, long time, has 37 goals, making her the all-time leading scorer in league history, passing Eniola Aluko, who was a longtime striker for Chelsea and Birmingham City, uh, really, Paris is going to be a very is going to be a featured player for Phil Neville at the World Cup and uh, expected to to produce for the Brits. So uh, the Lionesses will be a team to look out for. Obviously, they were one of those teams in Pot One, meaning they were one of the top six teams. So expectations will be high for the Lionesses. City and Arsenal still unbeaten at the top of the table. Uh, and of course, I got to give a shout out to my ladies in Manchester United down in the championship below. They did unfortunately lose their first game of the season earlier this weekend, but the week before they put an 8-0 beatdown on Millwall. They have a goal difference of 41. 
with the amount of money that is pumped in to United as a club, uh, they surely are going to earn promotion and end up in the league next year, only adding to the excitement of the Women's Super League. Uh, yeah, another key, uh, another awesome, awesome moment that I saw from the FAWSL. If you get the opportunity to check it out, go to their Twitter page, okay? Uh, the FA Women's Super League, right? Pretty, you know, you can't miss it. Erin Cuthbert of Scotland, okay, pulled off one of the sickest, sickest nutmegs you will see. A tecker unlike any you've ever seen. She's going towards the sideline, right? Running with running towards the sideline with the back to her defender, okay? And and just the, the mental awareness to know, okay, this defender is is sprinting on my back. I'm going to use her energy and her aggressiveness against her. She rolls the ball with her right foot just two inches to her right and then goes through the defender's legs, no look, and turns her. Oh, my God. If that, was, if that happened... In, in, the, in the Premier League, the crowd would have gone nuts, okay? It's, it is a moment of genius, sheer genius, that needs to be appreciated. Go check it out. I, my jaw literally dropped. I'm like, man, that, this is like Neymar-level skill here from the, from the Scottish, um, Scottish star Aaron Cuthbert. So, seriously, props to her um, for Chelsea. And, and that's the thing, like, it's always been this way in all sports when there's not as much, much exposure. Things like that happen all the time and just go completely unnoticed. Whereas now, the biggest leagues, everything is under a microscope and you catch everything. It's only a matter of time before we get that level of eyes on the women's game. And so we can see more great pieces of skill like that because that was next level. For real. Seriously. I mean, go check it. Go check it out. It is worth your time. Seriously, seriously worth your time. Okay. It's time for a word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, orthopedic sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym getting feedback directly from players, parents, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. Alrighty, it is time for the social media lifestyle portion of the show. So much to cover before we close things up. The top 100 female footballers list by The Guardian. Now look... They got an incredible list of judges. I mean, they got every single coach you could think of, every single writer you could think of, everyone. But to me, I think uh, they—they they, it's almost an overload of, an oversaturation of judges because somewhere there's so, because you have so many differences in opinion on who is great and who isn't. It's clear that, you know, uh, Pure, like in some instances, pure skill level is taken into account, but in other instances, it's about how well they were playing in the year that they had. Um, it's a great list, but I mean, like Mallory Pugh is is at fifty six. Okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get this list up here. Fifty six. All right, she obviously should be higher. Becky Sauerbrunn at thirty five. Really, I mean, is that because she didn't play? the beginning of the year is is that where we're going with that the i mean come on like how is she not top 15 right wendy renard gets in at eight lucy bronze gets in at four and we're not gonna have becky sauerbrunn in our top 10 or top 15 fine fine I mean, she's among the top three defenders in the world yes but she's got to be higher um 
some interesting, as I mentioned earlier in the show, four Dutch players. Shanice van de Sanden, Danielle van de Donk, all right, at, tw- at 30 and 29. Vivienne Miedema, all right, of Arsenal, a young, fun, a young, fun player. And, of course, Lieke Mertens, someone who I've mentioned many times before, came in at number nine. Again, the best, Auss- uh, the best Americans on the list, right? Alex Morgan coming in at 7, Megan Rapino coming in at 10, and I mean, I can't really complain. I really feel like, for the most part, they got the top 10 spot on. Uh, Amandine Henri and Eugenie Le Sommer go back-to-back at 5 and 6. Ada Hederberg at 3. Finally, 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 Sam Kerr getting some love at 2, but then Pernille Harder at 1, obviously rewarding her for her outstanding season. Again, if we're going to have the Ballon d'Or winner be Hederberg, Right, Hegeberg, it's got to be her at number one, right? But uh guess not. So, Harder one, Kerr two, Hegerberg three, La- Bronze four, Le Sommer five, Henri six, Morgan seven, Wendy Renard eight, Mer- Martins at nine, Rapino at ten. Marta came in at 14, right? Lindsay Haran also came in at 12. So the Americans with three players in the top 12, right? That level of, uh, and of course, France have three players in the top eight. So, again, there's a reason why those two teams will be the favorites to meet in the final. But, of course, there's so much soccer to be played from then till now. So, you also have Kim Little coming in at 23. Let's also take a look where else. Julie Ertz at 32. What else we got here? Rachel Daly coming in at 45. Uh, So Lynn Williams coming in at 46. Now that to me speaks volumes, okay? She's coming in ahead of Kristen Press at 51. She is someone who needs to get back into the U.S. women's national team side. I'm not sure where she necessarily fits, but whether she's a super sub, whether she starts, it really doesn't matter. She is a very productive, talented goal scorer and needs to be in the side. I don't care who, you know, she needs to be in there. And in terms of goalkeepers, Christian Endler of Chile probably gets the nod as one of the best goalkeepers simply because of how busy she was. Um, of, of all the keepers, everyone gets to see her talent ahead of everyone else's, okay? Ahead of everyone else's because of the number of saves she made. Also, can't forget Tobin Heath coming in at 25, Crystal Dunn at 21. So, again... The United States have a bunch of players in the top 25. Um, Sam Mewis, 61. Adriana French, 65. They got her ahead of Alyssa Nair at 73. Maybe that should be a sign, right? Adriana French should be the new number one, but uh, it will probably be Nair in net, so we will have to see about that. So... A very, very interesting list. Again, you could go to theguardian.com and check out their list. Uh, you could see all the judges so you can really gauge for yourself um, how, how much you really agree with this list. Um, one other small piece of news. Uh, the U.S. Female Soccer Player of the Year was named, and it should be a surprise to no one that Alex Morgan was the winner her incredible, ridiculous goal-scoring run, well-documented, and, uh, of course, no one else deserves it more than her. And, of course, uh, there's this really interesting story on our site right now of, of what happened recently. We've already talked about struggles in, in Puerto Rico, struggles in Argentina, but now we go to the Middle East and Afghanistan, actually. Their women's national team players were dropped, including their captain was dropped for not signing the contract that denies them basic human rights. Here's a quote directly from the article. The contract jeopardized her ability to seek sponsorship outside the Afghanistan Football Federation, and it does not include compensation for playing, prohibits her from pursuing other promotional ventures, and lacks any sort of mediation during disciplinary rulings. That lack of infrastructure is appalling, and the fact that they're not going to get paid you're not going to allow them to pursue sponsorship money so that they can't make any money at all. Like, what, you think they're just going to p- play for free? I mean, that their love for their country is is 
like so strong. I mean, I'm sure there are some ladies on that team, but the captain of all people, the captain of all players, deserves to to be getting paid. She's probably the best player. Uh, it's ridiculous, honestly. That you know, but this is going to be common as more and more countries really start to develop their own federations in terms of soccer. Uh, more and more countries are gonna be dealing with problems like this and and we can only hope that in the future uh this is gonna get better so down the line we gotta hope that this changes and and slowly but surely we will get there we will get there um we hope we wish the best for the afghanistan women's national team in, in their fight as well as they continue to fight the fight for for the next generation All right, and that is it for episode eight of Give and Go. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, we are on a bunch of listening platforms now. iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, you can get us on so many different places. Of course, you can also check out our Libsyn Give and Go page, which is linked on our website as well, www.girlsoccernetwork.com. So much merch, so much content, so much great stuff. You have to go and check it out. We've got such a diverse group of writers, such a diverse group of people and content. It is truly, truly awesome uh, to see what we're doing right now. And you definitely do not want to miss out as we continue uh, to rise. Give and Go is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. I am your host, Rotas Wadera. Episode 8 of Give and Go is in the books. Signing off. Peace.